bola para a área, para Kelvin entrou, gol! Welcome to another episode of the Portuguese Football Podcast. My name is Brian Fonseca. I'll be your host today, and I have some good news and some bad news. So, I'll start off with the bad news. Rafael Guerreiro, the Portuguese national team's left back, and one of the better players at Euro 2016, a revelation in the squad. He has been announced to be at the hospital following Portugal's match with Russia today, uh, suspected of having suffered a fractured bone. Uh, this came from manager Fernando Sanz in his post-game press conference, so it is serious. Uh, we wish for Rafael the best, uh, both for himself and for the team, because the alternative, as we saw against Russia, is Ili Ziu, also known as Ili Deus. Uh Memes aside, the drop in quality between Ili Ziu and Rafael Guerreiro is so massive that it's the difference between Portugal winning this competition or not. So, for the sake of the Portuguese national team, we'll hope that Rafael... Uh, recovers and this, this is just a scare. Uh, on to the good news. Um, Rafael, before he got injured, was able to f- provide the assist for the only goal of the match, a Cristiano Ronaldo header in the eighth minute against Russia as Portugal won 1-0. Uh, this was a much better performance than their match against Mexico last Sunday. Um, so we'll kind of discuss both matches. I want to start with Mexico just to go in chronological order. That match was, in complete honesty, one of the worst performances I've seen from the Portuguese national team since I've been following them. The first half was abysmal. It was so hard to watch from the Portuguese point of view. They couldn't hold possession. They were letting Mexico dominate the match. And while Mexico didn't really create any chances, or at least any dangerous chances, it, well, uh, uh, you know, for the first half hour or so, they didn't really create much, but they dominated midfield. They, they, Portugal couldn't keep the ball on their feet for more than five seconds. They couldn't connect the pass. They couldn't counterattack. Um, and they couldn't get the ball to the forwards. It was just rough. I, I blame this on Fernando Santos' selections in the 11. Uh, I have been critical in the past of him, of his selections, and this was no different. I thought him going with Andre Gomes as a substitute for João Mario was questionable at best. I thought uh, Bernardo Silva was a shoe-in for that position. I really think he deserves that spot above anyone else. Uh, instead, he went with Andre Gomes. He also started both Nani and Quaresma. 
Um, Nani is understandable. Portuguese managers have been going with Nani for years, although it feels like he's two or three years past his expiration date on in terms of his quality. But nonetheless, managers keep going with him. The bigger question in my mind was why he chose to go with Guarajma from the start. Uh, Guarajma, since Euro 2016, has been a super sub for that squad. Whenever they needed someone to come in and change the game, he was the first one off the bench. And that was a strategy that's been working. So, as I say, if it's not broken, don't fix it. I'm not sure why Fernando was messing with that. Um, that being said, Guarajma was easily Portugal's best player uh, for the majority of the match. He was uh, pretty much anywhere that they need, he needed to be on the pitch. He had a great to develop pass to Ronaldo in the first half. He was the one who opened the scoring at the half-hour mark. He, it was a great run from Ronaldo, who recovered a long pass from Rafael Guerrero in, in midfield. Bit of a gamble from the Mexican center back, who gave Ronaldo too much space in behind. And when he missed the header, allowed Ronaldo to run into that space. Ronaldo closed down quickly by the, by the uh, accompanying center back, but was very smart to hold the ball, was patient, turned around, and with some of the best vision I've ever seen, picked out a pass to Quaresma, who was running into the far post and exploiting space left behind by uh, the Mexican midfielder, whose name I, I can't recall at the moment, who was ball-watching in, in no man's land and left acres of space for Quaresma. He received the ball, was patient, touched it to his left, looked like he was about to shoot just enough to get Ochoa off balance, and then just slid it right into the goal. Brilliant goal uh, from both Quaresma and Ronaldo. Um, that was the second chance Portugal had in the first half and the second time they put the ball in the back of the net. Uh, ten minutes earlier, resulting off a free kick, I want to say, either a free kick or a corner, Bep was able to score a goal, one that him and his side celebrated. A bit of a choppy play where Ronaldo gets a rebound off the free kick and strikes it right off the, the upright, right off the post, and it falls. Ball moves around, gets crossed in, and Pep deflects it in. But thanks to newly implemented video referee technology, the goal was pulled back for offside in a sequence far before Ronaldo had hit the ball onto the post. Of course, video referees are allowed to stop or re pull back a play uh, as long as it doesn't change possession and as long as it stays within the time frame of the goal. So had it not been for that offside play, there would have been no goal. So logically, he's allowed to take away that goal. I will dive into video referee right now while it's a topic of discussion. I'm a big fan of technology in football. I think that while people can be correct in the sense that it does take away from goal celebrations, and it does take away from the emotions of the game a bit, it's unquestionable that I'd rather have that than have a goal, for example, like the Pep's goal, which I would thoroughly enjoy, of course, as a Portuguese fan, but as a fan of football, it's it's disheartening to see a team win on a controversial goal that is that can be avoided with this technology. So while it did sap some energy from the Portuguese side, it did so for the right reason, in that it took away a goal which should not have been allowed. That was the only one in the Portugal match, and it was pretty blatant that uh, there was an offside. It does get a little bit more questionable or chippy, I guess, uh, in the examples from the Chile match. Uh, they had three goals reviewed, and one pulled back from Chile, which was incredibly marginal. Uh, Vargas was maybe half his left foot was offside. But nonetheless, he was offside. And anyone complaining that it's too close to call offside for that, that it's a bit petty to call that offside, well, he's offside. There's no... There's there's no... If you stop there, then where, where do you... How much margin should there be to call back an offside? It's either offside or not offside. The, the rules are black and white, in my opinion, and it should be. 
there should be no reason for there to be debate in this offside. Where I think video refereeing will have a bit of trouble in the future will be in penalty calls if it's ever if they are reviewed. We have yet to see that at least in the Confederations Cup and in the Portuguese Cup final, the two the three matches I've seen video refereeing appear. Uh, penalties are a bit more subjective. Um, so, well, actually, if you look at the match of Australia Germany, Australia's second goal looked to be a handball on the Australian striker, but the video was in wasn't clear enough, wasn't conclusive enough to call back the goal. Uh, that didn't cause much controversy because, frankly, the match didn't matter much. I mean, Australia played against a C team, Germany. Germany doesn't seem to be taking this competition too seriously. But if this was in the World Cup, I mean, of course that would matter. When it comes to penalty calls, or handballs, or fouls, or or ill-timed slide tackles, which can be, you know, the case can be made for, oh, he got the ball first. And it can be very subjective depending on where the referee team is from, uh, as anyone who watches football can tell. Refereeing styles vary vastly between England and Spain and Italy, France, Portugal. So that may, especially so even in different continents such as South America, when we're talking the World Cup, where referees are more lenient and they they see things, they, they're more willing to let things go. So we'll see how that develops. And of course the technology will get better the more it's used, the more feedback that the federations get. Overall, this is a win for football, in my opinion, and it will only get better from here. If England had technology in the 2010 World Cup, they may have beaten Germany. If the Portuguese League had technology in 2006, Ronnie's handball goal, which still haunts my nightmares, the goal that took the title away from Sporting, essentially, considering they lost that match 1-0. Had they drawn, they would have been champions. Had there been technology that year, Sporting would have been champions. So these things are important and it does take away some banter some controversy from the game but it'll allow the game to be richer and discussion to be richer um, especially in countries like Portugal where watch any of the talk shows watch any of the debate shows 45 minutes of an hour-long show is dedicated to referee calls Read Ujogu or any other Portuguese daily, and there are sections dedicated to, did the referee get this call right? What was this call? Just whirlwinds of controversy where football isn't discussed. What happens on the pitch is not discussed. The midfield battles aren't discussed. How the center backs play isn't discussed. It's just goals and refereeing, which is a shame because the game of football is so rich, and there's so much to discuss in the match. There's so many individual battles to, to talk about and so much play that talking about refereeing decisions when it's avoidable with technology is just a waste of everyone's time so if you like watching football for the drama i get it as long as you enjoy watching it for the action on the pitch and analyzing the the match as well if you're in it just for the drama go watch some novellas go watch some tv because that's real drama football is sport and it's to be played with integrity and the and be evaluated and refereed and officiated in the best way possible Moving on to the second half, um, Portugal grew a little bit more into the game than it was in the first half. Um, aside from those two chances, they really didn't do much. Uh, they conceded right away on the other end. Um, very bad um, move from Rafael allowed 
the ball to fall to Vela in the box and he just crossed it into Chicharito who will finish those 99 out of 100 times he's a he's a poacher who will punish you if you give him a chance of course you know Font could have done a little better on the goal I know it wasn't Font it was Pep Pep could have done a little better on the goal but um, had Rafael anticipated that ball a little better it would have been avoidable it was probably Raf's worst performance since he joined the Portuguese A squad um he spoiled us with a brilliant, brilliant Euro 2016 campaign, as I mentioned, and he was fantastic for, for Borussia Dortmund during the club season. Uh, from what I've read, I haven't watched much Dortmund, but from what I've read, he played a lot of defensive midfielder for Dortmund, so perhaps playing back at left back uh, may have been a bit of an adjustment for him. I'm not sure how valid that theory is, but I, I, I could see it. Um, but it only took one game because he was brilliant against Russia. We'll get to that soon. Um, Portugal took the lead again later on in the match through Cedric. Um, great goal from the from the right back, his first goal on that with the national team. Poached uh, a, a ball from that fell in the box. Uh, Herrera with pretty bad clearance. Uh, a bit unfortunate from his from his part. His, his touch was a little heavy and fell right to Cedric's foot. A great work from Adrian. Uh, another change in the Russian match that we will discuss shortly from hereafter. Fernandes' substitutes were not bad. They just came a bit late. Andres Silva was put on in the 80th minute. Adrian was only put on the 65th, I believe, or 70th minute. Just late subs that, frankly, should have been there from the beginning. And shortly after Cedric scored in the stoppage time, Mexico was able to equalize off a corner uh, right into the to the Canaria, a place where Rui Patricio has, is notorious for not really being able to demand. He's not really good at commanding his area, as he should be for a world-class keeper. So that kind of cost when uh, Salcedo was able to finish pretty impressively might I add that it he managed to hit it behind his head onto the far post uh, there wasn't much Patrice could do in terms of defending the shot but he should have come out and been able to at the very least punch it out but I digress uh, the result was more than fair uh, Portugal was took advantage of their chances scored those two goals but Mexico was by far the better team and it would have been a shame for them in terms of the fairness of the match to go without a point Moving on to the host Russia on Wednesday, Fernando Santos made four changes to the starting 11. He took out Josef Font, who was at fault for the Mexican equalizer, the second one. Um, maybe not as much as Patricio, but he was a sacrificial lamb for Bruno Alves, uh, who I was very, very, very uh, dubious about his inclusion. Um, I thought maybe Santos was expecting more of a physical game from Russia, so he put him in as Alves's one of the most physical center backs in the history of the game. Um, but I, I will admit, I came away impressed. He was pretty, pretty solid in the back. Credit, he won his battles. He was, he was good on his feet, one in the air as usual. Uh, in the air is, is not where I uh, worried about this team. Um, his partner, Bep, was unbelievable, incredible all game. I think he won every single aerial duel he had, and there was at least 15. He was the single reason that Portugal was able to defeat Russia 1-0 and hold on to that clean sheet. But yes, yeah, so like I was saying, Bruno Alves was the first change and then he listened to my prayers and he put in the three Silvas in the starting 11. He put in Adrian Silva for João Moutinho. This changed the, dyna the dynamic of the team in many ways, more ways than one. Uh, first, it allowed the team to pressure high when it lost the ball to recover the ball. Portugal completely dominated possession in the first half 
Russia, I don't think, sniffed the final third. Um, and this was because the pressure that Adin was able to place alongside Andre Silva and Ronaldo uh, to recover the ball. So he, he, this is something that Moutinho had, can't do. It seems like when he's playing more recently that he pulls back a lot more and wants to play make from deep, kind of like Pirlo did in a sense. Nowhere near as much quality, but kind of like Pirlo. And this forced William Carvalho, the defensive midfielder who's supposed to be back and playing his sort of sweeper role, to come up and make plays himself, which is not his forte. He does it. He's not bad, but that's to be Moutinho's role. So, and then in attack, Adrian Silva was in, in on the wings and, and by the box in places that Moutinho hasn't, at least against Mexico, did not explore. Speaking of William, I just want to say that I think people are far more critical of him than they should be. I think the Portuguese public, which I am guilty of in this sense as well, are very clubist, clubistish. They really dislike players from the opposing clubs. I will get to the player on the Portuguese team who I was wrong about, I will admit, for this match. Uh, and part of the reason I don't like him is because of the club he came from. I also don't like him because he's not very good in my eyes, but the fact that he played for the club I hate the most probably hate, contributes to that reason. But I say this because William has been criticized heavily by uh, a majority Portista and Befiquistas for being slow and, and, and halting play. But if you look at the comments from these foreign fans on, on Twitter and on, on these pundits, like they realize how crucial he is to this team. He is a metronome in midfield. He controls the tempo of the team. He relaxes it. He When he has the ball, I never f I feel safe whenever he has the ball. I feel like he will never lose it. Um, very sturdy, very, very strong. Um, and he can spray out passes both to the wings and in midfield. Uh, while they're not perfect, they are usually pretty good. He'll find his teammates. But of course, his the criticism that he is slow is, well, I mean, he looks slow, doesn't he? He does look slow. But while he's not, you know, pushing play, that's not something that Danilo does either. I don't know why people think that Danilo is just some dynamic playmaker that will come in and completely change the style that they play that William doesn't allow them to play. He's made marginally faster than William. And while he's stronger in the air, I will admit Danilo is far stronger in the air. Uh, and perhaps a bit more solid defensively, William is unmatched in recovering the ball, in passing the ball, and in... The controlling it and keeping his, his team calm. I've never seen him panic. I've never seen him upset. And I think William is a crucial, crucial part of this starting 11. And now that I got on my soapbox, I'll get off it and I will discuss and admit that I was wrong, at least for this game, about Andre Gomes. He was good on the ball and while he didn't provide much of the attacking prowess, I've criticized him for not having, he didn't provide that much in attack. He was pretty solid on the ball didn't lose it often and when he did get the ball in dangerous positions he did well there was a play midway through the second half where he received a pass from Ronaldo on the box and he was patient kind of reminded me of a goal that Jack Harrison uh, assisted David Villa on last week against Seattle but for those who don't watch MLS what he did was he received the ball at the top of the box not at the top of the box on the right side of the box and with two of the defenders around him he was patient held the ball turned and flicked in across for Ronaldo the cross was a bit high, but Ronaldo mistimed his header a bit and hit it wide. That was pretty good. And like I said, he didn't lose the ball as often as he did against Mexico. Uh, I still think he shouldn't start. I really I really don't see his place on this team, but um, he wasn't bad. Moving on to the rest of the changes. The first Silva was Adrian, as I mentioned. The second Silva was Bernardo, who came on for Nani. And 
he was as good as advertised. He was as good as I expected him to be. He was everywhere. He was passing the ball. He was moving play. He was controlling it. He was creating dangerous chances for his teammates. He was. He just changed the dynamic of this team. He was pressuring high. He, he makes Portugal so much more dangerous on the ball, on the wings, in front of the box, behind Ronaldo, just so versatile. And while they didn't score more than the goal that Rafa assisted Ronaldo on, he did provide a lot. I, th I thought Russia played a game that was kind of suited for him because they were clogging midfield and forcing long balls uh, from Bruno Alves and Pep into the attack, which is not a style that Portugal really likes playing, but they left so much space in between the lines, which is where Bernardo thrives. If someone was able to get him the ball in between that lines, in that space, he could operate so well. He could spray it out to Ronaldo. He could find Andres Silva in the middle. Um, he could find Andres Gomes on the wings, I guess. While he didn't really take advantage of that, he was very good, and I, I think Fernando Santos would be crazy to not keep him in the 11 against New Zealand, uh, a team who won't be as defensively solid as Russia, so he'll have plenty of chances to both score and assist. And finally, the third, Silva, who came into the starting 11 was Andres Silva. Uh, Portugal finally played with a striker, uh, which it chose not to do against Mexico for whatever reason. Uh, Andres was not as good as he was against Mexico. He, I think he did more in 10 minutes than he did against uh, in, in the 70, 80 minutes or so he played against Russia. He did create some chances. He forced Akinfif into an incredible save to start the second half. Uh, great header to the far post that Akinfif reacted very, very well on to dive and save. Uh, Akinfif had a stretch in the second half, about a 10 minute stretch where Portugal was really pressuring and he made some great saves. He saved that Andres Silva um, header. He saved a bomb, bomb from Cedric, who attempted to score a second goal in as many games. But of course, after that, Russia really started going into the game and going for the equalizer in the final 30 minutes or so. For anyone that's been watching the Slesson play for any period of time, they'll know that winning a match without suffering is just not the Portuguese way. I've been a sporting fan my whole life. I've been following the national team for my entire life, and I don't remember a single time Portugal playing a game that matters, an important game, and if they had won, winning it without worries. Maybe the Welsh semi-final in the, in the Euro last year, but even then, um, it's just the Portuguese way to want to suffer till the bitter, bitter end, and that's what happened. But Dissu didn't have to make too many saves. I mean, Russia didn't even put a shot on goal the whole match, but... It, it, the pressure was constantly coming up, and, and Russia, after spending so much time on the back heel, was pushing forward and really taking over the game. And the substitutions that uh, Fernando made seemed like he was more worried about conserving the 1-0 lead than to double it. He took out Adrian and put on the Nilu. He took out Adrian, put in the Nilu in the 83rd minute, which was the change that really showed me that he was trying to conserve the lead. Before that, he had uh, put on Justin Martins for Andres Silva. So that kind of shows they were looking to play on the counterattack to take advantage of Russia adding numbers to attack. Yeah, that Justin shift in the 77th minute really showed that he was he was accepting the fact that Russia was trying to get into the game. And Danilo helped in kind of stabilizing the midfield and, and at, least, at the very least halting the pressure that Russia was putting on, making them work a little harder for that. As I mentioned before, uh, man of the match for me personally was Bep. Bep was great. He was just great. He was a rock solid in the back as he's been for nearly every one of the caps he's done for Portugal. I believe he won every aerial duel. It seemed like it for sure. Uh, he even frustrated the Russians so much as to, frankly, 
get fouled hard enough to deserve the opponent to get a red card. Uh, let me try to pronounce his name. Jihika, Jihikisha, uh, would attempt to recover the ball from Pep on the wing, and he first pushed Pep, and then tripped Pep, and then kicked him in the groin, and only got a yellow card. I'm assuming the referee didn't get a good view of the play, so I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but Russia really should have had 10 men at the uh, at the end of the match. But overall, great result for Portugal, be it not as emphatic as it could have been, it's it's three points, and three big, big points. It puts Portugal in prime position to advance. They play New Zealand in the third and final match of the group stage, and barring an absolute collapse or a, a terrible decision day for uh, Fernando Santos, Portugal will win that match. New Zealand is nowhere near the talent of Portugal, as anyone you know who watched five minutes can tell you. So winning that match, they're at seven points, meaning that Russia can catch them. They have a, a spot guaranteed at second place. They can get first place if Mexico uh, one draws or loses any of its next two matches, or two. I believe the Confederations Cup tiebreaker is goal difference. If they have a worse goal difference in Portugal, uh, I think that'll come down more to the New Zealand match than the Russia match. But we don't have to worry about that right now. Uh, the point is Portugal is in prime position to advance. Um, something that was in doubt was questioned following the Mexico match. So moving on, uh, without Raf will be difficult. Eliseo was serviceable, I suppose, uh, for his appearance, but he doesn't add anywhere near as much in attack. Uh, that'll be a big, big loss, his attacking prowess, uh, Rafael's that is. On defense, uh, against New Zealand won't be an issue, but if we play Chile, for example, a team that's running up and down and up and down, Eliseo is not fit for that kind of match. He will be dead by the hour mark. I mean, if you look at the guy, he looks like he eats Rodizio every day. Um, incredibly out of shape. And, and I know that's unfair for me to say. He had a great season with Benfica, and he, he managed to last that. But just, it's it's tough. It's a hard visual to watch. It's hard to watch him run. Um, so unless he, he provides one of those vintage uh, bombs outside the box that he did with Malaga a couple of years back, I... It worries me a lot if, if this, this um, Rafael injury is as serious as it's expected to be. Don't think New Zealand will be an issue, but if there's anything I've learned from years of watching Portuguese football is that never, never, ever, ever count Portugal out from botching uh, an otherwise easy match. Moving on to Portuguese league transfers and rumors. Oh, actually, before I hop into that, one last thing. Um, Ronaldo... Didn't take any questions in his post-game press conference. As as much as he and his teammates and his coaches try to say that he's not distracted by this tax thing, the constant news has to not be helping. I mean, there's news every single day from Spain and from England that, that he wants to leave Spain and all these things that I'm not even sure he's saying. I think some of this is propaganda spread out by his agent, George Mins. And I think some of this is just made-up stuff from the, the, the papers, that, that something that happens a lot in Europe. Um... But he clearly didn't want to answer any questions about it, so he did not ask, answer any questions in the post-game press conference. How I feel about this, I'm not quite sure. I haven't really developed my thoughts. I'm not a fan of players not owning up to their to, to what they've done, uh, you know, whether it be on the pitch or off the pitch. I think they should face the music most times and talk to the media. But I can understand why he wouldn't want to talk to the media when he... I'm not sure of his involvement in this text thing. I'm not sure if he knew. I'm not sure if it happened. But... 
when you have the media making stuff up like this every offseason that he wants to leave the club and he's not happy and well I think uh, he's he's not wrong in not answering though if I can backtrack on my thought I think some of those rumors are also you know pushed out by Mins so that they can have better leverage in negotiations with new contracts but that's just the messy 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 world of world football and of money and I I don't disagree or do I or no do I agree with Ronaldo's decisions and I'll talk kind of neutral in that sense but from there interesting news I just picked up right now Alan the longtime Braga player former Portista is now an administrator at Braga good for him uh he's been a big figure in that club and he was crucial in their best ever season 2009 the year they almost won the Portuguese league for the first time if he is anywhere near as good in the front office as he has been on the pitch for Braga that team has a bright future well I my biggest wish of course of Portuguese football is that Sporting finally wins the title after 15 years Braga winning a title or Vitória de Guimarães winning a title or any small club winning a title uh, in Portugal would be just brilliant it would be awesome so here's hoping that Alan does a good job with Braga the biggest transfer in the past week has been former Befica left back and current Real Madrid left back Fabio Coutro is headed to Alvalad the man who said he would play for no other club in Portugal that isn't Benfica it was in Lisbon yesterday uh, doing medical exams for the club Real Madrid president Florentino Perez practically guaranteed on a radio program the day he was re-elected until 2021 that Quintron was headed to Alvalade. He didn't confirm if it was a loan or if he was being bought, but I can un- I can guarantee, I would bet my house, that it's a loan because Sporting cannot afford his wages unless Quintron, for some reason, elects to not take the wages he's getting at Real Madrid, in which case my house is still mine. So I think this is a great, great addition for the team. I've had this discussion with my dad, who is not a fan of Quintron coming he thinks he's too old and he's injury prone which is two things that I one I agree on one I don't I don't think he's injury prone and he's been out of it for the past couple of seasons uh, he hasn't been as good as he used to be but he's only 29 he's young and while he wasn't you know the best left back in the league when he was loaned to Monaco and he didn't get any time for Real Madrid this season he's still good enough to Oh, wow, uh, watching the New Zealand-Mexico game. New Zealand nearly opened the scoring. Um, pretty decent game right now. But anyway, he's good enough to dominate the Portuguese league like he did with Benfica. I think he is a huge, massive upgrade over Zegalar and over Jefferson. I, even Jefferson, when he was at his best, I think this is a huge upgrade. And given the fact that he was, he has a very good relationship with George Zouz from their time at Benfica, this can be a very, very big step for Sporting if they're to fight for the Portuguese league this year. Another rumor surrounding the club is Bruno Fernandes, the midfielder uh, who plays at Sampdoria in Italia, a member of the U21 squad, is rumored to come to Sporting for 9 million euros, which is um, a huge transfer fee normally for Sporting, but is a steal for Fernandes. One of the most underrated youth players in the world, Bruno Fernandes is an unbelievable, is a fantastic, fantastic midfielder. He's great. He's strong. He can play box-to-box. He can play the six. I think if he comes in, he'll probably play box-to-box, given that Adrian is likely on his way out the door. I think this this move, if it happens, is pretty much confirmation that Adrian is out the door. But uh, I've heard fans that here, I've, heard, I've read fans say that it kind of neutralizes the Bataglia signing from a week ago. I disagree here. Sporting has lacked depth for a long, long time. When Adrian went down, the team 
last season when Anthony went down to, with injury, the team's quality dropped a lot. And if you have a two midfielders of the quality of Battaglia and Fernandes, that you can interchange, that you can rest, that you can, when one's out of form, you can put in another to kind of boost the team. I think that's incredible. I think that's big if you want to be champions. You, of course, have to have your 11 that you trust that will, you know, be consistent and help push the team. But when, when things happen, because things happen over the course of a season, it's good to know that you have the backup and the depth. And they can even both play. You know, if, if William and, and Adrian are both leaving, as is rumored, they can both play. One plays the six, one plays the eight, and they kind of interchange there. I think Bataglia could be a pretty decent replacement for, for William based on what I've seen. He's good at recovering the ball. Nowhere near as good as William, who was the best recoverer of a ball I've ever seen in the Portuguese league. But I have faith in that midfield. Um, I hope I'm not getting wrapped up in the hype. And the Fernandes deal hasn't even been confirmed. Neither has Guantrón, frankly. But if those two come, if those two signings come to fruition, that would be big, big, big signings by Bruno de Carvalho. A third signing has been rumored over the week, which I'm more skeptical about than the first two, which is Jeremy Mathieu, the French center back from Barcelona, is allegedly of interest to Sporting and is willing to drop his wages to join the team. If that comes to fruition, obviously, a huge signing. A player who was good enough to start for Barcelona, um, not often last season, but two seasons ago. That's big. That's far better than most, if not every, center back in the Portuguese league. And he could also play fullback, so that's a good addition to depth. I don't think it'll happen. I think that's a, a very big pipe dream. I think he's too expensive, and it just doesn't really make sense for his ambitions as a player. I mean, why would he leave Barcelona to come play for Sporting in the Portuguese League, you know? A team that doesn't have guaranteed European football, or at least uh, Champions League football, as it has, it finished in third place, so it has to fight in the playoff. So I'll hold my breath on that until I see him in the press conference room shaking Bruno Carvalho's hand with a Sporting jersey in his hand. There's other silly season rumors, you know, that Arda Turan is of interest to Sporting. That's not going to happen. Also, that Dumbia... The, na- the man who was in my nightmares as well, who knocked Sporting out of the Champions League two years ago in the playoffs with CSKA Moscow, a-, a tie which was blatantly stolen from Sporting, some terrible refereeing decisions, but I digress. One of the fastest players I've ever seen, Dumbia, is allegedly going to come to Sporting on loan from Roma. Abal is reporting this, and uh, I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, he's a great player i think whenever he plays against sporting especially he was great but i fear another joel campbell situation where you know a player comes in much hyped and he he just lets down uh you know a lone player from from a big european side i don't know uh i mean he's fast but he does play striker you know a position that bachelors has on lock and i know sporting needs depth but he's uh, he can play in the wing as well here's what i'll say about it i wouldn't be opposed to him coming I would be thrilled if he came, but I would have my um, my reservations about how well he'll fit into the side. And um, yeah, so as far as other teams um, in Portugal, Tombella signed Ricardo Costa, the former Portuguese national team center back and co-captain. I didn't know he was still playing football. I think he's 36. He's pretty old, but if he's half the quality he was when he was playing in Valencia, like that's a great signing for Tondela. That guy's good. That guy's really good, and he can be very, very good in the Portuguese league. Um, 
especially in, in, in matches against like Befica and Porto when Dondal's, you know, back against the wall and Sporting, when they're back against the wall the whole match, like he can be a rock back there. And he's pretty decent in the air in, in opposing boxes. So I really like the signing. I really, really, I really, really like that signing. Um, I'm shocked that he was willing to go there, but I mean, he was playing in... Let's see where he was. He's playing in... Uh, how's this team? He's playing in Switzerland, so I guess it's not that big of a, a drop. Um, as for foreign uh, signings, Bruno Gaspar, the former Befica left back playing at, uh, at Vitor de Guimarães, was sold to Fiorentina. Uh, Gaspar is a great fullback. Um, very impressive. One of the better fullbacks in the non 3 grands teams in the Portuguese league can attack can he a very modern fullback he can you know attack on the wings and, and sending crosses but he's also capable of, of cutting in and shooting and, and providing passes in the interior of the pitch so good signing for Fiorentina uh, good signing for him uh, good for his future and um, I may have to tune in some Fiorentina matches to watch him uh, the U21 uh, team was defeated by uh, Spain yesterday in the second match of the group stage and that pretty much knocks them out of the competition because there's three groups and only the best second place team advances so they need a monster result against Macedonia to, to advance on goal difference um, from what I saw of the match Portugal held its own against Spain Spain easily the best squad in the tournament Just so much quality first team football I mean, you look at the team, the players that scored against Portugal. Inaki Williams from Bilbao, I think he's played two or three seasons of, of top flight football for them. He scored the, the winner. Uh, you could Saul, he scored a goal. Saul, the, the man who's been playing two seasons with Atletico Madrid in the, the first flight. And then you look at um, Sandro. Sandro, the man who played for Barcelona, was rejected by Barcelona, went to Malaga and had an incredible season with, with Malaga this year. He was fantastic. He was easily their best player. And he was assisted by De La Fiel, who came up from Barcelona, transferred to Everton, played, I think, three seasons with Everton. So just phenomenal quality on that side. Just on the people who contributed to the goals. I'm not even talking to the rest of the squad, but... I mean, you have Marcos Llorente. You have uh, Hector Bellerin the Arsenal man. You have uh, Marco Asensio, who had a breakout season with uh, uh, with uh, Real Madrid this year. Just incredible teams. You know, incredible players. Uh, Daniel Podence was a star for Portugal. Uh, offensively, the sporting man will probably have a decent role this year with Jorge uh, Ruben Neves from Porto, probably the most seasoned player on the team, was good. Uh, Renato Sanchez was terrible. He's been having a very rough tournament. And... Um, of course, the best moment of the match came when Bruma uh, scored the best goal of the tournament. I, I, if, if it, that doesn't win the best goal of the tournament, I don't know if, he, if, if anything is right anymore. That goal was just the, one of the better volleys I've ever seen. Ball was falling off a header maybe three, four, five feet away from the top of the box, and he, Bruma just ripped, ripped it into the back of the net. No chance from the Spanish goalkeeper. Um, I advocated for Bruma to go to the um, to the Confederations Cup in spot of Jelson and received a lot of blowback from Red R Soccer. So 
I'd like to state for the record that I was incorrect in choosing Jelson as a sacrificial lamb. Though I do think Bruma and Jelson have similar characteristics and they're sort of the same player. I do think having both of them on the squad wouldn't be a negative per se, especially because I completely forgot about Nani, who should have come out for Bruma. Nani has a spot guaranteed in that side until he dies. I think Nani could play until he's 75 and he will start for the Portuguese national team. Um, so I, I see why they're not taking him off. I mean, he's been as fixture in the squad and he's good friends with Ronaldo and he's good for team morale and he's not awful. But I think Bruma is younger, he's faster, and frankly, he's better at the moment. He's in better form after his great season with Galatasaray. Again, I see why Nani was chosen, but I think Bruma would be better. Regardless. That is all I have today. Thank you all for listening. I may do an immediate reaction to Saturday's match against New Zealand, uh, depending on my availability and if you know anything comes up. This is looking decent for Portugal. If Rafael can come back, I think Portugal can win this. That's all I have for you guys today. Uh, thank you all for listening. I may tune in on Saturday after the match and throw up a quick pod, but that really depends on my availability and if anything really comes up. It's a bit of an odd time in the day, but uh, we'll see. But for those who listen again, thank you so much for listening. Your ears mean so much to me. Uh, if you could leave a review on iTunes or on SoundCloud, wherever you listen to this podcast, that would really help me, uh, both in helping the podcast grow for anyone interested in listening to Portuguese football, and uh, it would really help my ego. It, it would really help my ego. Uh, personally, which would only make this podcast better, I promise you. Um, so again, thanks all for listening. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Brian F with four N's. So that's B-R-I-A-N-N-N-F. B-R-I-A-N-N-N-N-F. You can shoot me an email with any questions, concerns, comments, anything at uh, brianfilippefonseca at gmail.com. That's B-R-I-A-N. F-I-L-I-P-E-F-O-N-S-E-C-A at gmail.com For the final time, thanks again once again for listening. My name is Brian Fonseca. I'll see you guys either Saturday or next Wednesday. Until then, Juizu.
apreces Peço que regresses Que me voltes a querer Sozinho, talvez devagarinho possas voltar a aprender. So 